Hi, and welcome to my other other gig, the podcast about kindy folk and their non-kindy obsessions. I'm talking today with Jeff Bogle. Jeff's the proprietor of OutWithTheKids.com. Uh, writes for Time Out New York Kids as well as the Huffington Post and a variety of other sources. But today, I'm not going to talk to him about kindy music. Well, not very much at all. What I'm going to t- be talking with him about today is his book, the book that he's working on. It's an illustrated kid's book. It's called The Pen That Never Drew. And so I want to talk to him today about how that came about and some of the things he's learned as he's entered into this new world of kids' book writing. So, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Stefan. Sure. So, why don't you tell me a little bit about the genesis of The Pen That Never Drew, how this book came to be, or at least how the idea came to be before the book itself ever came to be? Well, it's that's a, it's a funny story. Um, most things that I write for my own site or for anywhere else, I, I come up with the body of, and maybe you do this too, you come up with the body, the, the meat and potatoes of what it is, and then you title it something snappy, something good for, for search engine results, whatever it may be. <laughs> or in uh, my case, neither of those. But <laughs> <laughs> um, So this came about with the title first. Um, when my youngest daughter, who, who I call the mouse, was about two years old, so way before she started reading, actually reading, she would pick up this one book. It was a, a hardback um, Reader's Digest books, really clever little series, um, on one on geography, one on science, really well put together. And one was about grammar and writing. And she couldn't read it, but she would pick it up. And on the cover was a, a, a little hand-drawn, um, fancy-looking pen. And I don't even remember the actual title of the book. But what she would always pretend to read, she would always call it out as the pen that never drew. And then she would make up an author's name. When we read books, we always read title, author, and illustrator. It's kind of an obsession of mine. So my kids do that too anytime they either pretend read or, or actually read a book. So she would make up – she made up that title. And, ev- and she would fake read this book probably for like six months and read that title out, the exact same title. The author's bizarre name would change, but that title stayed the same. And it stuck with me, and that was f- almost four years ago now. And so about a year ago or 18 months ago – I think I probably wrote it down because in my old age, I doubt I would have actually remembered that title. So I must have written it down and I I saw it one day and thought that that is that there's a there's a story in there. There's a story in that title. And so I I just started to write sort of free write. I had no idea where I was going with it. Um, And what it ended up as is well, what it what it has become is sort of a metaphorical tale of a father-daughter relationship that mirrors, not coincidentally, my own in a way. Um, Whereas the pen, uh, unnamed, just capital P pen, sort of plays a a passive fatherly figure watching his daughter, who who just goes by girl, capital G girl, in the story. They're the only two characters at this point, although we'll talk about it later, that may actually end up changing. Um, And he watches her from a distance, um, grow up and become artistic and kind of long for the chance to, to have involvement in her life, direct involvement. Um, 
he beams with pride. He cries in a, in a, as much as a pen can. Um, and, uh, and in the end, you know, there's, there's a, an emotional payoff, probably more for the parent. Um, the, uh, this, and you know, it's funny, a lot of, we, we said, you said you, we weren't going to talk about kidney music, but a lot of the, the music that we like as a family or that I'm really drawn to for kids, quote unquote, is, is like what I'm calling parent music, you know, Lunch Money's last record, for example, as a great example. That's just like, it gets the kids somewhere, but it really gets the parents deep down. Um, and so what it, what this has turned into is that it, it's really about a, a, a dad, well, a dad, but any parent um, longing to, to kind of have, to keep involved with their child as they grow up and grow away and, and go away to college in this case. Um, so so it, 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 it gets me every time I cry every time I read it and I've read it hundreds, hundreds of times. Um, was Jeff, so, Jeff, was that a theme that you had worked out pretty much from the beginning of writing the book or was that something that you grew into that the more you were sort of thinking about the plot and the characters you thought, Oh, I'm, I'm working <laughs> on a second level here. Yeah, no, I did not plan it. Um, and that's sort of a part of course. I, I don't, um, I didn't think about it at all until I sort of got the, the, the bones of it, the skeleton of it. And then I looked at it again and then it just hit me like, well, I'm not talking about a pen. Originally I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to make a funny story about a, a pen that, that, that just never drew that because you don't use pens in drawing much or, you know, we don't let our kids, most parents don't let their kids use pens when, when they're drawing. And it, and then by the time I was sort of done the first or second draft, I, I looked at, I was like, wait a minute, that's not a pen at all. Is it really? Um, so no, it was not planned. I'm, I was very, it was very pleasantly surprised um, to find that I wrote something that is, that has something going on below or above the surface. So how did you, did you work on it in fits and starts? Was it, Hey, I've got 15 minutes before I need to be somewhere or I'm waiting at the, at my daughter's dance class or was it, okay, I need to spend half an hour or an hour this week thinking about the book. Oh, I wish. No, if you, if you knew anything about me, I'm, I'm very undisciplined. I'm a very undisciplined writer, uh, unfortunately. And I have, I don't like lists. So I don't like the night before make a list of the things I want to do the next day. And I don't schedule much. You're dead it's to so me, Jeff. You're dead <laughs> to me. How can you live without a list? <laughs> My wife would say the same thing, but um, I, yeah, I don't, I mean, I can make one. I make a shopping list or I make a menu plan. For, I make a menu plan for the week. And my wife's all excited, like, good, we did it. And then I don't stick to it. I'm like, let's move this around. I'm not in the mood for that right now. I'm, I'm much more spontaneous, which definitely has its drawbacks. I mean, I'm probably not as efficient with my time, which is funny because I'm, 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 I'm pro efficiency around the house and in movement, um, cleaning up and things. But, uh, with with when it comes to any artistic output, um, I'm not. I, I sort of so with this, I sort of it was definitely a fits and starts, and it probably was worked on more just in my head, in the shower, driving around the kid, driving the kids to school, and I would get a line or or a, a feeling that I wanted to try to jot down, and so it was it was probably written over the course of maybe a year, in starting and stopping, and then. I edited, I, I got what I thought was the thing 
and then on on the computer on the laptop and then i printed it off i found in this process that um i'm an online i'm a, a digital writer and a paper editor if that makes sense i i, I can't edit it makes total sense that's oh, okay that's you know in my day job that's that's all i do it's it's really hard to edit on on screen and i'm really good at editing on paper and i just think there's something about being able to look down and have a pen in your hand and moving stuff without actually moving it i i, I Maybe maybe I'm just a dinosaur, and my kids are gonna wonder how we did this. But I totally I totally appreciate that concept of editing. Yeah, I think the the last time we talked, we established that you know when we we're still calling out record CDs albums. I think we established that we're both dinosaurs in, in many ways. But um, I, calamari was also involved in my decision. See, I <laughs> so when I what I would do, I would print off. Um, the manuscript and I would take it to my favorite local restaurant who has the best calamari around and I would sit and maybe fancying myself like, you know, Hemingway or some, and now I don't, it was a, it was a pint of water instead of an adult <laughs> beverage, but um, I would sit and I would, you know, I, I've probably thought that I looked cool in a way too. You know, I'd run my hands through my hair and I'd, I'd be like, Oh, I can't make this sentence work. What is going on? You know, I'm the pain struggling author. Out at a at an outdoor dining, it was, it was literally a movable feast. Exactly, exactly. I enjoyed the feeling of doing that, and and it made me. And I think you know, funny, a big part of this for me is feeling, whether it's aesthetic or not, feeling like a real writer. Because a lot of times, you know, the the blogger <sighs> label kind of is a sort of a thorn in my side at times because I don't feel like it's legitimate, at least in my mind, as a as an author or as a, a real writer. So doing something that definitely felt in the long tradition of writers, um, being out and, and working on something with crowd with white noise and clanging of dishes. And I don't know, it felt good to me. And, and I was very productive. Um, really, like you said, sc scratching things out, drawing arrows, moving chunks of text around and, um, and so the bulk of the editing was done in a, in a couple month period out and a few trips out. And, uh, and then I submitted it. And I guess we, if you want to kind of go backwards now, what the opportunity that I had to submit this um, yeah, to, so, to my favorite publisher. straight. Yeah, so why don't, I, and I'm, and I'm, I want you to tell the story, Jeff, but one of the questions, the question that I'm particularly interested in was, what was it that prompted you to go all in? Because essentially you had written a book, mm -hmm. but your investment at that point was really limited to time and a lot of calamari. Right. <laughs> um, whereas the the story that you're about to tell, um, you invested some cash, I mean, right. and not a small amount of cash. So I'm no. curious as to what it, what was the spur to you the trigger that made you decide this is something that is meaningful to me to such an extent that I'm willing to spend a fair amount of money <laughs> to try to pursue this issue. So why don't you tell the story, but um, yeah. you can keep that question in mind. Okay. So um, right after the, the storm, Sandy here on the East coast hammered um, New Jersey and, and New York and Connecticut, um, 
uh, an author named Kate Messner, very good children's author, um, started something that she was calling kindy or kid. What the heck was she calling it? Kid lit cares. And it was basically, she just pulled her resources. So guys like Jarrett, uh, Krasowska and Mo Willems, people that she knew in the kids literature world, got them together to offer services, whether it's, you know, reading a manuscript and giving thoughts on it or having a Skype phone call with Mo Willems. And that was one of them that comes to mind. Editors, a agents, getting people just that getting people who are prospective authors like myself to bid on opportunities um, of various sorts um, to raise money for the Red Cross to, in post Sandy. Um, one of the opportunities that I the only one that I've been on was kind of the granddaddy of them all, I guess, was the opportunity to um, submit your picture book manuscript directly to Chronicle Books a specific editor, a picture book editor there at Chronicle Books for um, edits. And then you make changes and then you send it back and then they take it in. She takes it into their editorial meeting where all of the children's book editors meet. And if anybody falls in love with it there, um, you know, it goes on to possibly be optioned and purchased. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was a few thousand dollars that it ended up being that I won that opportunity in, under the under the wire there when it ended. And my decision to do it, I sort of it got to the number where I was almost ready to jump out. Like it, this is crazy. But two things made me up the ante at the very end. One of them was that I love this book. I, I don't like a lot of what I write. In fact, if if anybody ever talks to me in public, I, I don't I don't think I'm very good at anything that I write, almost anything. But there's something about what I think I'm communicating here that's just touching to me, and I think I do it very well. And um and because the title came from my my daughter, make it's I think there's a funny story kind of about where it came from and then how, what it ended up being. And I think it touches on the people who read it before that point um, seemed to really be kind of moved by it. So that was one thing I figured if anything's going to get published of mine, that's not self-published. I'm like, I think this, and I'm working on lots of, I didn't say that when, when I was working on this in fits and starts, there's like a dozen things that I sort of have progress on. This is the one that kind of came to the end first and it's the one that is most personal to me. Um, so there was that. And then the other one was my wife, who um, is so amazingly supportive of all these crazy things that I try to do, that is trying to fashion a career out of of writing words down and, and putting funny things on T-shirts, which is the other thing that I do. Um, and she's like, just do it. Like, when, even whatever the number was, she was telling me, just keep going. Like, just do it. You it's a good book and Chronicle's my favorite pub. Oh, so there's three things. Chronicle's my favorite publisher. I've been working with them as a reviewer, working with their marketing team for years. And I, I, in my dreams, not only do I, you know, does the book win the Newberry, um, it also is on the shelf with the little Chronicle eyeglass label on it. I dream in that vivid a detail about this book. And so if it maybe if it was another publisher, that I either didn't have a relationship with or didn't care for their, their output. Maybe I wouldn't have done it, but it was, I'm like, that's, this is what I want of, of all the, I don't want it just to be published. I want it to be published by Chronicle. So, um, my wife was, is who's still in school right now. She's a year away from finishing her bachelor's degree. You know, she pays 
she wants to become a teacher and she pays um intuition like what's well, like it's like twelve hundred dollars a class and she's taking two or three classes a semester so the amount that i paid essentially amounts to a semester of of school now so i guess what we rationalized was people go to school for four years or more to do what they want to do to accomplish something that they want to accomplish as a career it's probably a good investment to spend a semester's worth of tuition cost to do what I want to do in very specific detail, what I want to do, where I want it to be done and with whom I want to do it with. Um, so we did. And uh, at the very least, I figured I'm going to get it edited. So I'm going to get a real somebody who knows not just how to write a children's book, but how to sell it and what sells and what. So so that that I've actually completed that process. It's It's been I've gotten back the editorial letter after they read it and um, didn't rip it to shreds. But I'm not going to lie to you. I was a little like, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in there that doesn't work necessarily. Maybe, well, maybe doesn't work for a big publishing house. Now, Chronicle's not Random House, but it's not a little art house, you know, right. no, it's, label it's, either. Yeah, it's it's a it's a mid major. Right, right. So, I don't know. I'm I'm not saying I I agree with a lot of what they said. What, I, but there's other parts that I'm like I'm just not willing to change. Um, one of the things. If, if we want to go right there, one of the things that the main thing, a point of contention is the idea that, so this was a picture book, but I didn't see it as like a two-year-old. It, it's more of like an older, or a, a, I don't know if there is, maybe it's because there's a category of books in my mind that doesn't actually exist. Sort of like a middle grade picture book. I, that might sound strange, but, you know, books like um, House Held Up by Trees, um, just real moving and in-depth and very non-traditional Taking it back to music, a lot of like the best kids music, it's not babyish. It's not for grown up. It's not for teenagers, but it's sort of somewhere in there where it's sophisticated, but it's playful and it invokes emotion in, on multiple levels. It, it sort of sounds a little bit like you're thinking of a graphic novel that's like a graphic uh, chapter book or a graphic, you know, something yeah. short of that. Right. And so, yeah. And so I, maybe there's not a picture book market for for what I'm getting at. But the main contention I had in the feedback that I got was that children will not empathize or understand the aging process for themselves until they go through it. So in this story, girl goes from a baby in the course of however – in the course of under a thousand words, goes from a baby to a college student. Um you're not a breakneck speed, but it's moving through paragraph to paragraph. And the sentimentality of that of that process, I'm being told a child will, would not understand or empathize with. Um, and it's probably unfair to use my own children as my only example, but I sort of disagree um, with that notion on a small scale, maybe most children, um, but there are, I think there's reflective nine and 10 year olds out there who kind of understand a little bit about, especially ones who have siblings, like my oldest, maybe she wouldn't be the way she is if she didn't have a, a, a younger sibling who 
she's mourning the loss with us of the cute baby years and of the of the words that they mispronounce that but that's so cute that you almost don't want to correct them because you know that once they figure it out it that cuteness that portion is gone forever yeah you're you're going to you miss know, it when they say when they no longer say paschetti right right so we when we had the mouse um, my oldest was right there with us and would would like wink at us even as a six-year-old when she was little when her sister was little about how uh, she doesn't we're not going to correct her because it's just too cute and and she knew and, and now that she's nine she can outwardly say like and sort of tear up now she's extremely sentimental we just we just got two new cars to new to us one brand new and one uh, another one new to us and we traded in our, our other two and she was in tears she, i mean letting go of something that we bought the, the main family car when she was one month old um so it was her car and it, it was like she was sort of tied to it for her whole life and so i see that and i think i know if maybe it's not again it's not the pop it's not the mainstream children i guess but there's kids that can appreciate the the nostalgia for the things they're living through right now or just the age period they just left um anyway so what i'm trying to do now since i got the the remarks back is sort of one cut a lot of i was a little too writerly in spots using some words that just got in the way of the story um, and of the emotion and trying to figure out who the narrator really is. Cause it's a, I was told it's a very passive narrator and um, it doesn't really work for the story. And I'm also, so I'm, I'm doing two sets of edits. One, I'm taking my original story and sort of strimming it down and trying to tell. Oh, so this is important to know before I say what I'm about to say at the very end of the story. I sort of, I have two epilogues. One, one, yeah, maybe you're, you're this two? probably isn't a traditional picture book. So I have an epilogue that tells girl's story after the story ends. She's off in college and she's doing something that is cute. And then after that, I try to tell Penn's story in my mind. Again, this was totally after the fact I made I wanted to make Penn a part of the family um by telling where he came from, his journey. It, and I was trying to do this for two reasons. Um one I think it was cool. Uh or three reasons. One I thought it was cool. Two, I wanted it to change future reads. So I wanted somebody to get to the end read that and then the next time they read it they're coming about it the story from a little bit of a different angle because you know something that you didn't know before. And it's not just what happens at the end. It's, a, it's something about one of the characters that you didn't know. No, it's, just, it's you know, they, they do that in, in movies sometimes. And like, I know for example, they just announced that uh, they're, they're going to do a sequel to finding Nemo. It's called finding Dory. Right. And part of the plot of that is you're going to find out sort of why Dory was out there swimming in the sea by herself. So I can, it's not a prequel. It's a sequel, but It'll change your viewing of yeah, Nemo, right? I, it's, I get the impression that after seeing that, and it's coming out in like two and a half years, you could probably go back and watch, hopefully, if it's done well, you can go back and watch Finding Nemo and 
yeah, have uh, a slightly different perspective, a slightly different filter on watching Finding Nemo. Now, obviously, you're writing that simultaneously, so you're actually trying to construct. It would be like as if they had done the Finding Dory at the same time they did Finding Nemo, which they obviously didn't. But I think that is an effective storytelling technique. I agree with you. Um, However, (laughs) (laughs) no, uh, you know, a couple people, um, you know, um, Court Voorhees, the mayor of Grammaropolis, who's also a young adult author with Disney Hyperion books. He read it and loved it, but gave me very similar feedback even before Chronicle did. And part of it was a big part of his criticism was about that part about how, it just doesn't it, i'm overthinking it and if i really wanted to tell pen to make pen a sympathetic figure that i would try to weave his story drop hints and put it throughout the entire text and so the third thing why i was doing that after the fact is i i want to write the prequel to this i want to write pen's story because i was a history buff growing up and part of his story is is the great war is world war two and is going through the fifties and sixties. And try, in my mind, it's like, a, it, again, probably not a picture book, but it, it, it wouldn't have to be almost like how, you know, um, what William Joyce did with the guardians, he, he, it started with a picture book and then he wrote three very intense long novels about each of the characters and then another picture book. So it's sort of toggling the line between, with the same characters and with the same story. Mm-hmm. So I, so Penn's story would be longer and more involved and sort of tell a little bit of the history of our country and how Penn v- saw it leading up to the point where he ends up on the shelf, where he ends up at the beginning of Penn that never drew. So that's all in my mind. And I really want to write that. Um, so I thought I would like tease it a little bit. So what I'm trying to do now with two, I'm editing it, separately two different ways i'm trying to with no calamari which is probably why i'm not getting very far right now because <laughs> um, i haven't gone back to do it to edit on paper i'm trying to almost rewrite in a way the first ver- the regular version trying to strip out a lot of the writerly bits about the some of the words that are just extraneous and get in the way and trying to put pen in a little bit more spots along the way to put his tail and then the second version, I'm trying to rewrite it as a graphic novel, trying to f- inject more story into it to make it a chapter book type of length. So I'm trying to do, do, see which one works the best. I don't. I could go either way with it right now. Um, and then at some point I'll resubmit it once I get to the point where I'm comfortable. Um, frankly, my my. Um, excitement and hope level has dropped considerably <laughs> um i didn't think they would be like yes we want to option this right now <laughs> without a single edit but the idea that i'm going to do something and send it back and they're going to fall somebody there's going to fall in love with it i mean maybe it'll happen i don't know um but the experience of doing this and getting the feedback and i'm going oh and i the the bidding went up so high that they kept adding on things. So one of the things was like hundreds, hundreds of dollars of children's books 
my choice from Chronicle. Now that's the last thing I need more of in my house. <laughs> um, so I worked with with uh, Lloyd Miller of the Deedle Deedle Dees and Stephanie Mayers of Dan Zane's Festival Five and Kindy Fest to with schools um, in Hoboken and in the Bronx, I think, or where was that? Maybe Brooklyn um, to get. St- schools that had their libraries damaged by that same storm that prompted all of this in the first place um, to get those books. And they were just delivered a couple of weeks ago, I think. So I got, awesome. I used my, my little bit of power for good there, but I also get a lunch with this same editor. She's coming to Philly in May. So we're going to sit down and talk about the publishing world and about my manuscript or my ideas for other things. So, you know, good will come out of this. And I mean, at the very least Red Cross got lots of money to help, people so you know that's great so i'm curious um how has this process you and i both have spent most of our time online reviewing other people's creative works and and yes there is some creativity obviously involved in creating even a review of others creative endeavors but for um to a great extent, we have been responding to others and trying to put others' work into context. Has the process of actively trying to create something of your own and then getting feedback on that creative output, <laughs> uh, has that changed your perspective at all on in writing about kindy music? Um, it has, but probably not in the way you might imagine, I, I feel like I'm getting more harsh. Like the gloves have come off even more in my own writing. Um, and you know, it's funny. I could take, I ran years ago. I ran a record label, an indie rock record label out of, in Philadelphia, out of my apartment. And I, you know, this was pre iTunes and pre PayPal and it it didn't work. I I put out five releases and it just didn't work, but you know, I, I went up to New York and met with a college radio promotion and we did campaigns to get it out on radio. And we, I personally sent it to punk planet. If you remember that zine from way back in the day and other maximum rock and roll and all these other magazines pitchfork when it first started, who ignored me. And, um, so I, and I got a lot of reviews and now it wasn't my work, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't the artist, but I mean, it was as close to me as, as it could be because I was paying for it. And, in, in some cases, designing the artwork and the liner notes and doing it all and putting it out. Um, so I, I've from a younger age, I kind of knew how to take criticism and feedback. And so and I still do. And so when I got this, I was more like I was more bummed that. I had a heck of a lot more work ahead of me. <laughs> like, wow, I really, cause I don't know about you, but I don't go back to things. And so this is new for me in that well, I'll answer your, I'll get back to your question about how it impacts my writing, but this is kind of new for me in that, you know, when I write a review or even an article for the Huffington Post, I don't go back to it. It's you know, done. It's done. It's, it's gone. I'm not a musician. I don't have to keep playing a song for 20 years. It's gone for me. So that I got this back and now, and I said, I mean, I guess in part of me knew I was going to have to, but then when it came back and I'm like, to the next step is I have to rework what I thought, what a story that I already like the way it's told 
and it reads well out loud. And I'm like, wow, I've got to, if I really want a shot with Chronicle to finish this process that I, I bid on and won, I've got to rework it, seriously rework it. And it's daunting to me. I, I've not really made much of an effort because I don't even, it, it's hard. It's been, it's proven hard. So, but in my, in my writing, whether I'm talking about parenting stuff or music or whatever, my approach, and it sort of started late last year when I, when I was writing this, really writing the, the meat of this book and editing it, is my focus is trying to tell stories, whether I'm talking about the new Underbirds record or talking about an app or something my children are doing. I'm trying not to, I'm trying to find a narrative in everything I write. I mean, sometimes I'm successful and sometimes I'm not, but um, it's less descriptive and more of having fun with, with crafting a framing everything in a narrative. Um, and that's, that's been a really interesting way of going about writing reviews. Cause normally it's, I mean, most reviews aren't really like that. It's just, this is neat. This is good. I mean, the, the worst ones are like that. You and you don't write like that, but um, my kid had fun dancing to it. Wow. You should buy this, you know? Um, <laughs> What's wrong with that, Jeff? What? No, 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 we're, we're uh, not going to go there, but right, right, right. no, but I mean, trying, trying to find a narrative through line and you, you can build a narrative through line through a collection of reviews. I mean, it doesn't have to be a single review in which you're telling a, a, a story or trying to, recount something but yeah trying to trying to have that master plan okay this is the story i want to tell about kindy music or about this album or about this artist i mean that definitely changes your frame of reference on how you write to something let alone sort of what you write about right and you know the, the process of me doing that started before i won this opportunity with chronicle but it was definitely influenced by me writing stories so my review a year ago of the okie dokie brothers record you know the first third of it doesn't even really reference the record it's about it's about my it starts as about my relationship with music and it builds up to how in my in the pantheon of of important mo musical moments in my life how their record is now part of that and the exact moment that that happened. But I, I've been joking to people and I did that with something else too. A, a couple of things I've been, you know, the first chunk, the first couple of paragraphs, if you don't, if you're not invested in it, you're thinking, what is he even talking? Like this doesn't even talk about the music or, or music at all. Or I've been joking with people that I'm like trying to do like the Jay Peterman catalog of, of record reviews where I'm just, it's like kind of flowery and it's, you know, we're in a cave and you're, and I just I just wrote about the Rat Boy Junior record, and just had really fun trying to describe what listening to that record is like. And I described it as you have to imagine sitting in a rustic ski lodge during a UFO enthusiasts convention while simultaneously oper owning and operating a preschool for highly gifted children. Now, which is as good a description even, as any of that album. It. No, I, I, <laughs> I don't even exactly know what that means, but it means. What I wanted to mean, I, and that that my mind, I might have just blown my mind up when I just said that. But um, yeah, so you know, that's just that was just a sentence. But I'm trying to, 
And that all comes from this process of both this book and all the other things that I'm trying to flesh out in narrative form. Uh, and that's been an amazingly beneficial thing to me in, in my <clears throat> writing career uh, so far. You know, uh, one, th one thing I, the other thing that occurred to me as, as you were talking, Jeff, was that one of the drawbacks of blogging and because I spend a fair amount of time writing, I spend a lot of time writing only a small amount of that is actually writing for my website. The, my day job, I do a lot more writing. Uh, okay. And there is tremendous benefit in having an editor. Mm. And and that's one of the things that you and I don't really have in our uh, – for our main websites. It's – I mean we could spend time editing what we've written. And I'm sure that you do that to some extent and I do that to oh, some sure. extent as well. But in part, the whole uh, write it, look at it, pu <laughs> click publish, and then don't think about it ever again yeah. after you uh, link to Twitter and, and Facebook, right. that, that is good, but it is also bad because it does not let you craft your work. And so I'm, I think – Turning it to Kindy, I think there is some advantage in having a producer, whoever that producer is, because it is somebody that you are paying for who whose job is to say, yeah, you're going to need to play that again. <laughs> or, right. Or, you know, this this lyric here, it stinks. It's it's just <laughs> it's just bad. You, can you think of something else? And so I think there's value in doing that. And I certainly I think appreciate producers much more now than I probably did three or four years ago. And I think your comments pertain to that and relate to that pretty directly. Yeah. My wife definitely plays the role of my editor when she's around and for the bigger story, the bigger, probably not really the kids music stuff. When, when I try to touch on something that might either anger my family or <laughs> um, people in general, uh, parenting stuff, she definitely looks at it and, and makes changes. And, she just did that. You know, it's, I just submitted, I'm starting to write for a new site called Cooper and kid. I think it's going to start this month. They're just featured this week in daily candy, that big like internet mm -hmm. thing. Um, and the, I'm the arts and entertainment editor, if you will, or topic creator. So I'm going to be blogging. God, I hate that. I really don't like that word. I'm going to be writing. I try to refer to myself as a writer of a web magazine instead of a blogger of a blog. Right. No, blog. Which, which my wife always laughs at me and thinks I sound pompous. But no, no, no. I, I, I don't. Maybe it was John Gruber. I um, said, you know, blogger is not a noun. Blogging <laughs> is a verb, but blogger is not a noun. Mm. Writer is a noun. Um, right. How you write or how you communicate your ideas in the world. You can do that by blogging, or you can do that by writing uh, deep, you know, in-depth think pieces. I mean, there are many different ways one can write, but blog blogger is not an out. <laughs> That's right, and it's one I'm trying to not, trying not to define myself by. Um, I, for me, it's it, there's, there's a negative connotation with that in my mind, a lot of like the review blogs or the giveaway blogs. It's, it's, it's sort of in, in my head, it has sort of a nasty undercurrent or nasty reputation for me. 
not what I want to be perceived as, as I trying to be take serious as a, as a communicator of ideas and stories. Um, so anyway, so with this, this Cooper and kid, my first post is a narrative. It's about, I'm, I'm like, where am I going to start with arts and entertainment? I mean, it, for me, it's got to start with music and it doesn't really make any as an introduction to me and, and, and about music. Cause that's kind of who I am. Um, and so it's a total narrative about, again, about me without being narcissistic and about my children's relationship with music and how kindy can help you, a parent, avoid, um, possibly avoid the fleeing of your musical nest, as I'm referring to it, when they become tween, teenagers and, and find try to find music that they're allowed to have as their own because they've never been allowed to have music for themselves. It's always just been parent pushing their music downward. Um, and so my wife looked at that and made massive changes that were terrific. And in general, I love being edited, you know, time out New York and red tricycle, all of these places that have talented people there that look at your work and tighten it up and make it better. I mean, they make me sound so much better than most of the time than I actually, I actually am. And I appreciate it. I'm very welcome. I'm very open. And maybe I lack comp. Maybe it's because I sort of lack an ego or confidence of a, of a professional writer. I don't know. I'd like to think even if I published books, I'd still be wide open to other talented people making suggestions and making changes to just the, 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 the telling of it, not the story, but the, the way it's crafted for better impact. Um, I I've, I have loved that from the very beginning and continue to enjoy it, even when it's my wife telling me that something stinks. Great. <laughs> well, well, Jeff, I think our time for this podcast is drawing to an end. So why don't you just tell everybody again if they want to – if they don't already know where you write, why don't you tell <laughs> folks where they can find you on the internets? Uh, well, the, the, the main hub for my writing is at my site out with the kids. It's, uh, OWTK.com is the easiest way to find it, uh, at Twitter on Twitter at OWTK. And, um, and from there, you know, it's a launching point into my writing on Huffington post or, uh, the good men project or appearing on Fox news, whatever it's, it's sort of all sort of linked there. Um, and this book, the pen that never drew, will be out someday um, in some form, whether it's self-published. This one will get out, and then we'll see where it goes from there. But um, I think it's it's too moving to just sit on it and read to my own kids for the till the end of days. It will get out there. So, Great. I, thanks, I, thank you very much for having me, and thanks for everybody for listening. You're welcome. I, I look forward to seeing it when it does finally exist in actual uh, <laughs> physical form. I've seen yeah. it in I've seen it in partial digital form and I I like it a lot and I look forward to seeing it in physical form. Oh, so, thank you. So thanks everyone for tuning in uh, to the My Other Other Gig podcast. You can find this on iTunes if you, when if and when you do if you can rate the podcast we'd greatly appreciate it. And if you have any questions or comments, just shoot me an email at zooglobal at earthlink.net. Thanks again.